Welcome to another episode of the Trees and Lines podcast. Today, we talk to Sean Huff, Supervisor of Vegetation Management at Oklahoma Gas and Electric. We had a great conversation with Sean around the use of his herbicide-first approach. They're capitalizing much of their vegetation management work and his commitment to developing the next generation. Have a listen. Hope you enjoy. Well, on today's edition of Trees and Lines, we're welcoming Sean Huff, Oklahoma Gas and Electric. Welcome, Sean. Welcome, Sean. Appreciate you joining us. Yeah, it's nice to be here. Yeah. Sean, we uh, like to start off by letting you do your self-introduction. You know, tell us a little bit about who you are, a little bit about your program. Okay. Well, a little bit about me. Um, I originally got into this industry um, back in 97, 98, um, working on a tree crew and uh, in the rural areas of Iowa and just kind of worked my way up from a groundman into foreman into all these uh, uh, various avenues that we would have to go through in order to uh, make our way up. Um, from that company, moved around a lot uh, across the upper Midwest, uh, Iowa, Nebraska, Illinois, Kansas, uh, then moved to Texas and spent some time in Texas and then switched companies a little bit. So I went from the tree side of things over to the consulting side of things. So uh, more of the the contracted arborists, those kind of things, did that with uh, DRG for about four years and then came to OG&E back in 2019 uh, as a supervisor of vegetation management here and have learned a lot about uh, IOUs and and how we operate here um, versus the way I thought they used to operate. So I yeah. <laughs> uh, moved around quite a bit um, yeah. uh, and uh, it's been an exciting journey over the last uh, 25, 26 years. So. Sean, I'll give you a piece of trivia. So okay. this is a few decades. I don't know the date off the top of my head. But you know that most of the industry, the people that are in your type of position were at one time a consulting utility forester. <laughs> well, decades ago, the very first consulting utility forester in the nation was at Oklahoma Gas and Electric. Really? Yeah, Dennis Holowinski uh, working on a problem with OG&E, and that was the solution. And from there on, you know where we are today, thousands of them across the country. Absolutely. That's phenomenal. That's good to be a part of history, I guess. Yeah, well, there you (laughs) go. So you were a speaker at Trees and Utilities. Yes, Uh, uh, a financial mosaic of UVM. Is that did yes. I get that right? Yeah. So that's correct. What was tell us what your talk was about and give us a recap. You know, let's start with the the topic or the the title of it, and it for me it really represents um, the way we can go about uh, funding our departments because we're we're there's no department out there the uh, no vegetation department out there that's fully funded there's always avenues to where we could use more money uh, if you talk to any vegetation supervisor manager they're going to say if you gave me x number of dollars i know exactly how i'm going to spend it on top of what we already have right because he's always in the, or she's always in the back of their head with uh, if i only had this or if i only had that um, and as we approached the problems here at OG&E uh, that we were facing, uh, you know, budget was a big part of that. And so how do we maximize uh, the dollars that we're spending 
um, all across the board in every different aspect of our of our of our company. So we started looking at what are we doing on the project management side of things? What are we doing on every every person that calls us up and says we need a tree crew? What are they doing? And then how can I absolutely maximize my opportunity for capital spend on on those areas? And so we that's where we came up with the after the fact things uh, where a lineman's going to go out there and he's going to replace a pole or he's going to replace a cutout, uh, insulators, whatever. There's a lot of times that they're doing capital work, things we consider capital work, never called us for any kind of tree work, but we can go out there and assess it and say, well, this was a capital work point. There is vegetation that can be done here. So we're going to go ahead and uh, and do this vegetation work as a part of that capital asset improvement. And that really kind of changed um, some uh, some of our vision and some of our uh, thought processes in, in how can we do this. So we started going down that rabbit trail a little bit further, developed up our standards. Uh, we, we originally, we just had guidelines, best management practices, whatever you want to call them. But it wasn't the way the construction side sees things. Construction side goes, hey, We've got a standard, a construction standard that says this cross arm has to be this high, has to be this wide. You can't build anything this close, you know, so on and so forth. And it's it's non-negotiable. So from that perspective, we said, well, we should have vegetation standards that are non-negotiable internally to say we're going to set this right away to like new condition. And here's the standards in which we're going to do that. So we wrote standards and it, it's, you know, it's the removal standards and, you know, how far back we're able to remove based on easements and those kind of things. And, you know, the regrowth rates, all of that factors into there, but we called them standards. So we take this to our construction group and we said, okay, you want an estimate for vegetation work? Here's our standards, just so you know. So we're going to provide you the estimate for that work for this capital project based on these standards. And it allowed us to get a whole lot more done, uh, a lot more vegetation done, because before we were focused solely on what we needed to do to get the work done, not what we could get done and or what we should be doing. And um, that's where I think it really uh, it it flipped the switch uh, for them on the on the project management side to understand what we were capable of getting done. Uh, it did. I mean, nobody wants to talk about this, but it does increase prices a little bit on on some of the capital projects. Uh, but it, that's a necessary cost if I'm not going to get any more O and M spend. And so this is this is the balancing act we're going to do. So capital being reimbursable, being you know something we can you know get our return on. Uh, o and M is not where that's just straight expense. We're able to make the argument internally that. You know, let's spend more on the capital side, but let's do it in a manner that's going to help reliability. Uh, so we every capital project that comes to us, whether it's DOT projects, uh, new customer projects, uh, we have our long term sustainability projects uh, or system integrity stuff. Uh, DLRP being one of them, which is the 
distribution line reliability program, our grid modernization. So we're putting in all the smart meters. Now we're putting in automatic interruptors, um, things that'll make the system more autonomous. Uh, all of those projects now are, are geared towards our vegetation cycle plan, meaning the circuits they're going to do the work on are the same circuits we're going to do our work on. And so now we're really starting to say, okay, I can capitalize 30% of this circuit because we're going to do this work at the same time we're going to do our cycle work. And it's it's given us an opportunity to, to uh, have a broader impact on our system reliability and our, and our maintenance without blowing up the O&M spend. Yeah, everybody talks about how do we capitalize, and it sounds like you've yeah. figured it out. So, Sean, just just uh, kind of digging into that a little bit. First of all, congrats! Like that that's a that's a bit of an undertaking when it comes to money. Um, mm. It's always a complicated thing. I think what what I'm interested in is how long did it take you to you know where you had this idea from the inception of like, hey, this is a way we can be more effective to secure dollars and, and have bigger impact to getting it to a place where it's executing dollars have been transferred and you're part of the process. A, what was that timeline like? It was two years. Okay. Probably. And, 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 and so I know this, right? Because in the nature of the work that we do and how we kind of operate, but let's talk about the stakeholders, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure there were several different groups that you had to kind of bring together and, you know, present the idea, you know, show the quantification of things. Like, can you maybe kind of paint a picture of like where the conversation started, who they started with and along the path, how you were able to get consensus? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I'm not sure we're hundred percent in consensus right now, but it, it all started <laughs> off with, Big uh, word, yeah. uh, uh, Communicating with legal um, to understand um, and finance. Uh, so our accounting department and our legal department, once you start uh, redefining capital work, you need to make sure that they're signed off on that. Uh, you can't move forward unless our accounting department is comfortable because of what is the ex-Sarbin or the, the Enron situations that all happens, you know, everybody, everybody gets very uh, concerned about how we're identifying capital work. So once, once we have those conversations, told our story there, then we could go to project management because it was about an engineering getting us involved early, not when the line crews are there and now they need a tree crew. So, that's that took a lot of time to get with um, our project management group to work out the workflow on when vegetation needs to be involved. And once they once they start looking for estimates on the on their work on the construction side, we need to know that so that we're there getting a vegetation estimate so that they can plug that in. Because what they do, they they take those estimates and they request the money through an AFE internally, and it gets approved. Now, once it's approved, they get really frustrated if you if you go over that estimate. So um, we, we had a learning process there of saying, well, we would give them an estimate after they put in a dollar amount that was approved, and our estimate was way different than what, or the actual was way different than what they, their estimate was. 
So we said, get us in early. So now we have work planners, cuffs, that'll go out there and look at the work and put a price on it. And then we can get that AFE approved. And if we go over that, that's on us. Like, that's our fault now. Uh, so we are able to kind of figure that process out a little bit and uh, and get better at estimates. Um, so between project management and and engineering, getting us in early, and they love their workflows. So learning how to put together a, a good Visio workflow for them to say this is this makes sense to put us in here. Uh, that was that was a process. Um, it took a lot of conversations. Is the culture at the utility at this particular utility? Is vegetation management? Do they have a strong voice and a big seat at the table, or is that something in your tenure there? you've had to champion or did you come into an environment where it wasn't, even though there was dollar movement, you had to kind of tighten up culturally people were, you know, equipped to hear veg- a vegetation management voice. Uh, I can tell you um, when I got here, they were not, um, we were very siloed um, and through, uh, you know, for many reasons, multiple reasons about why, but um, it, and this is the discussion we hear a lot now, previous to some changes that happened in my upline, um, nobody knew what happened inside vegetation management. So they would send in a request for work and we would get it and we would either do it or not do it. And we would just let them know afterwards. And that whole workflow or process that we had, they had no idea about. They didn't box, know the sh- yeah. yeah the struggle that we had the the problems we have with customers and the PR stuff and they didn't know that they just needed their trees trimmed so we opened up the department in order to get our de- our uh, our goals met we had to tell people we have problems right we have struggles help us solve these problems. And so once they started getting involved and and knowledgeable about the things that we're doing out here or trying to accomplish, it it then became, okay, how can I help you? You know, uh, you know, they still want to get their stuff done and on their timelines and stuff. But rather than becoming combative, we explained to them, help us help you. You know, we're a service department. We serve internal customers. And so in order to better do that, we needed to open it up and help them. It was uh, being vulnerable as a department because you, you are opening yourselves up to scrutiny to people who don't quite understand vegetation management. And there's a lot of nuance to our jobs. And uh, that's something that's very undervalued internally. Uh, engineers. God loves them too, but they don't like nuance. <laughs> they want hard, they want hard numbers and and hard structure, and it's hard for us to do that. So, so how is your new uh, spec or you know the scope of work different than it used to be for capital projects? You go beyond just simple pruning and removing of trees, I assume. We don't go beyond anything that the industry standard has, but what we said was. We're going to do this. So before it would be, I only need to trim three trees in this span to get this pole set. Uh, But now instead of just trimming those three trees, we're going to get everything 
in those two spans surrounding that pole replacement, so to speak. Uh, so it could be 10 removals and five trims that we need to do the entire span. And that's what we're going to do versus just doing what's necessary to set the pole. And that was the biggest change uh, because exponentially, that's a lot more work uh, than than just what's needed for the lineman to drive his, his backyard dolly back there to set the pole. Uh, but on scope of things, when you look at, um, we were able to get in 2022, we got almost 300 miles trimmed on capital dollars that we would not have otherwise. And that's that's significant. Sean, just to contextualize for, for the audience, so they get a comparative understanding of how big OG and E is. Can you share with us maybe like a range of like an annual budget, size of your team? And just for clarity, are you over both transmission and distribution? Are you one or the other? Yeah. Uh, so OG and E has about approximately 21,000 distribution miles. Uh, we have approximately 6,000 transmission miles. And I think 1,500 of those are uh, NERC lines. Uh, so we have two supervisors, one on transmission and facilities. Uh, and then I cover all of the distribution work. Uh, I originally, when I first landed at og and I was on transmission and facilities. Uh, so I got to spend just over a year and a half working solely with that group. And that was um, very educational. And it was helpful. Uh, then through, you know, people coming and going, I transitioned over to uh, distribution. And so now I have all of that. Are you a $50 million program? Are you a $20 million program? Are you a hundred million dollars? Like where? Uh, on you know, the O&M side or on the capital side? Maybe you can, you know, <laughs> so, break, it down, uh, break it down for us. We're significantly more on the capital side. I would say somewhere north of $80 million of capital work that we do, a third of that on the L&M side without giving oh, specific dollars. No, Nobody's no, no, gonna... yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's more just, I, I think what, what helps, uh, you know, in this forum where we've tried to create a community of discussion across the industry, I think it does mm -hmm. help, um, you know, peer-like utilities, young people that are building their career to understand there's a lot of money floating around um, yeah. and that that money has to be sort of managed in a Tetris like fashion because there's a million different things to get done from clearing right. to, to herbicide work to, you know, all that kind of stuff. So um, I think it just helps kind of give that framework um, when you're talking yeah. about, oh, I have to go grab dollars. You know, what are we talking about? You know, so I think right. that, that that's super helpful. Yeah. And when you talk about the management of said things, there's so many moving parts to it. Uh, just on the capital side of things, I've got two foresters that manage our territory for large capital projects. Then we have our long-term uh, projects. I've got uh, one forester that manages it, but he has a team of cuffs that help him out uh, between work planning and identifying, managing the, the tree crews as well. Uh, we have seven district foresters. Each one of those have a, have a team of, whether it's a planner or a, uh, um, a cuff, to help him out. And we, we've recently transitioned to, um, I have a senior cuff that is managing our work planning team. 
So rather than each district have their own planning staff or production planning, we call it, um, I've got one guy who's their sole focus is to identify the work ahead of all the tree crews so I can get estimates, pricing, all that stuff. They don't get distracted by customer complaints or any of that stuff. Identify the work. And now I can put together bid packages or or expectations for tree crews and cycles and those kind of things. So uh, we do have a very, I, I'd like to say we have it pretty organized. <laughs> uh, the team may say things can be a little disorganized at time, but uh uh, from my perspective, I like everything to have their very specific roles, because if everybody's doing everything, it's hard to track. It's hard yeah. for me to manage those things. Yeah. So. Oh, no, very good. So is your routine tree work on a cycle? Four-year cycle, yeah. Four-year Four cycle. Okay. And you're at, oh, if I recall, you have an herbicide program that you've sort of been innovating we have a significant herbicide program, I would say. Um, we we probably spend more percentage-wise than, um, than most utilities. Uh, we're right about 40% of our budget wow. is invested in herbicide. Uh, we are, because of some, um, I would say, budgetary restrictions in the past, we had fallen behind um, our cycle the way we would want it done. So we're kind of in a reclamation mode. Um, and the best way to do that, cheapest way to do that, I would say the most cost-effective way, would be to uh, get those lines controlled uh, through herbicide. And a lot of that's going to be in rural areas, rural communities, you know, where there's long distances between houses and those kind of things, but it's a high density of, you know, uh, ditch trees, you know, trees along the fence line, those kind of things. So if we can get those controlled with herbicide, it really allows us to focus more saw work in the, in the, uh, in the cities and the rural or urban areas. The, the other thing I think we do that is uh, significantly different than than maybe some of the other utilities out there is our TGR program. Uh, we TGR a lot. Uh, we spend a significant amount of money getting TGR in those trees to lengthen the trim needs, uh, the time between trims. Um, we have a <laughs> we have a very robust uh, TGR and basal program. Uh, because in the metro areas, it just makes sense. Uh, you know, I need to I need to either slow the growth of the trees or push them back somehow. And uh, for the cost, uh, a per unit tree, uh, TGR is just a lot cheaper than bringing a bunch of saws. That's my O and M dollars. So uh, I'm allowed. I, I guess we can get away with doing that because of the way we're doing capital work, uh, where. You know, we're doing a lot of our saw work on the cycle, but it's capitalized because of those programs. TGR gives me the time that I need to get that all into place. So clearly, like you, you guys have a pretty organized process and program and you've got a game plan and you're, you're mapping to that. Talk to us a little bit about maybe some of the specific challenges with the, you know, the, the regional footprint that you have, whether that's tornado related storm related mm. or just topography or like what are the one or two things that keep you up at night in terms of like keeping things moving um and but that do keep you nervous well uh we do live in oklahoma and uh this is 
uh, hands down the most storm prone uh, state I've ever lived in. Mm-hmm. And a storm event here uh, is a very significant event. I mean, you're talking 70, 80 mile an hour winds are, that's another day in Oklahoma, it seems like. So uh, we can be traversing right along and everything is going along fine. And then we have a, a tornado event and that puts everybody at a standstill and we all go focus on that. And that that disrupts the flow. But uh, because we have everybody with their specific roles, we can pick them up, put them into the storm response, uh, get that done, and we jump right back to to our normal routine. Um, our ICS uh, processes, I think, are probably the most refined uh, because we do it a lot. Um, I remember being on uh, utilities before, and we would always have these practice runs, like we're going to practice a catastrophic event. And... Uh, we don't talk about that here because we're doing this all the time. You're living it. Uh, yeah. yeah. How many storms have you had this year? Yeah. Uh, I think we have 17 on the board uh, ICS events. Um, since the first of the year. Since the first of the year. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We're uh, we're constantly monitoring. Okay. When did the when did this event start and stop? And you know we're tr- we're trying to make sure that we're tracking all of that stuff to to really know when customer tickets are going to up and down and it's pretty wild but uh yeah it's very storm prone and uh so we have a variety of regions across oklahoma you're talking very wet tall pine stuff on the east uh because we do have some in arkansas as well so we go clear out to ozark uh east of fort smith and um and then we go all the way to woodward and and beaver and in the far west uh of oklahoma which is near desert out there you know it's it doesn't there's not a lot of vegetation that goes on out there so uh that's helpful to us because a lot of those miles we manage differently uh, as a result of the fact that it's not a high density of trees and we can focus on the ones over in the east uh, but it definitely presents itself as challenges um we we did have and, and that's one thing i think people if you're not utilizing them, uh, I, you know, I don't know how a lot of people manage their storms, but we manage our storms, uh, a lot of them through our CAD system, ticket dispatching and stuff. But we use our cuffs to help our foresters disseminate the the information and manage the tree crews. So no one forester is having to manage an entire district. He's got a team of people that are supporting him or her, and they're able to oversee that operation in the district as opposed to being mired down with, um, you know, managing it uh, at a granular level. Um, I think it's decentralized command is uh, what the military uses. With my my Marine Corps background kind of help leads me towards, I love chain of command. I love those structures. And when it comes to, you know, scalability on, on emergency response, if your process isn't scalable, you, it's a, it's a failed process because at some point in time, you're going to stress that process. And so we, we developed a real, um, uh, a real good process of saying, if I need, a hundred crews, or if I need 10 crews, this process works. It's just a matter of scaling up that chain of command. And everybody's able to make decisions, you know, because we're we're all working off the same playbook. So. Switching gears a little bit, going back to where this conversation started, 
you know, you kind of took us through the journey of your career and now how you've ended up at a utility. The industry has changed a lot as it relates to education, technology. If you could talk to your younger self um, in today's environment, and if you were just starting your career in this in this uh, sector, what would you do differently? Or how would you guide somebody who's coming into the industry now? Would you would you give them your blueprint in how you got here? Or would you say, this is how I would change it up, given that this is available to you now? Whew. That's a good question. Um, I, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sidestep that one a little bit, but I'll get back to it. When I talk okay. about building teams and I look at the team that we've built here, um, I think Phil mentioned it earlier too, but everybody has such a different background. Uh, we have, I have geologists on staff here. I have, you know, GIS guys that are working as foresters, uh, degrees, all various degrees. We have degreed foresters as well. And so there's no one path to get to where, um, you know, a person could sit and manage, uh, a program. And I think that's very important to understand that, uh, you know, I've got guys that they never touched a saw in their life and they came out of college and they got natural resources degree and we taught them the industry. And now they're doing a you know really good job because they're, they're passionate about the outdoors and, and we can manage a lot of that canopy. Right? right. But for myself, if I was to go back and, you know, here comes, uh, I started at the company I started with, Right Tree Service. I started with them because I needed a job to get me to my next career. And I did not know that this was a career. And until the uh, the vegetation manager for Mid-American Energy at the time uh, was Jim Puentes. And he went through and he said, I'm done paying bottom dollar for these guys. I'm going to pay them good money. And I got a 25% raise within three months of being hired. And I was like, hold on. Now, <laughs> what's, what's the opportunity on? here, Rep? So I, I think what I would tell myself is be patient, but also learn everything you possibly can. Um, and, you know, just had some good people in my career uh, helping me along, uh, whether it was Will Nutter uh, with Right Tree Service. Um, and you know, all the managers at that company that I was working with at the time that helped me get to where I needed to go. Um, you know, we laugh because we, um, <laughs> uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Phil Hines, who was my, uh, division manager of, uh, when I was with, uh, working for ComEd over there for right tree service. And, uh, you know, he provided me my sensitivity training as is what we called it, but it was, he was, Vietnam vet, like he was a, a rough and tumble guy, but, you know, he taught me a lot about managing people, setting expectations. And, you know, I really uh, appreciated all the people in my career. So my goal is now to be that person for somebody else to help, yeah. you know, help my team understand that um, if you want to do this, let me help you get there. And, um, but I, yeah. I, I wouldn't change anything I experienced because I enjoyed everything I experienced. Oh, good. But everybody has a different different path, a different path. to get yep. there. Yeah, yeah certainly. Um, and, I, and I definitely got to ask you this before we, we we start to wind down the discussion. But sure, I know you're I know you're not from Oklahoma, correct? No, 
No. But have you been, have you had to pick a side yet? OU, OSU? Within a week. (laughs) So, so where, where did you land? All right. I am looking around to the rest. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So, and again, because of who I am, I'm going to tell you something before I, before I answer your question. I grew up in Iowa City. Okay. Uh, So the University of Iowa. Uh, that's why I, I, I graduated yep. high school from from there. Um, but I grew up watching very fanatical people rooting for that team. Right. And it was uh, I, it was I didn't enjoy it. Uh, so yeah. every time Iowa State would come to play Iowa. I would root for Iowa State, not because I was an Iowa State fan, but I was yeah. anti-establishmentarianism, right? right and right. so um, I, I became an Iowa State fan as a result of the fact that I just kept rooting for them. Next thing you know, they're good at basketball. So I'm like, OK, yeah. well, I guess I'm a basketball fan, whatever. Yeah. So I come here. Yeah. Fast forward, you know, 50 years and I come here to OG&E and I walk into the vegetation department and uh, there's a gentleman that's that's was our clerk at the time. And he said, listen, you're going to have to choose. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, what do you mean I'm going to have to choose? Yeah. He goes, yeah. OSU or OU. And I'm looking at his cubicle and it is full of OU stuff. Yeah. And I said, well, if you're going to make me choose, I'm choosing OSU. <laughs> there we go. And oh, I like it. Throw so it down. ever since oh. then, I'm just like, uh, in my father-in-law, he graduated OSU. Uh, okay. My wife, uh, she's from uh, originally from Oklahoma, but she lived in Texas most of her life. But so okay. we have connection here. Um, yeah. My that's my, a great story. Yeah, my dad's or my father-in-law's father owned a drilling company. Like uh, it was weird. He had some uh, just a very small drilling company up by Enid. So it was interesting to uh, that we ended up back in Oklahoma for my wife. So oh yeah, that's um, I loved how you. I loved your disposition. You're like, I'm anti-establishment. So what's everybody else doing? I'm taking the other side. I love it. Contrarian. I love it. Contrarian thinking. I love it. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah. I love it. Well, Sean, this was uh this is a very enlightening conversation. I think this was one of the this may be the first conversation that we've had since we started this podcast where you know we've spent a bulk of the time talking about the flow of dollars and mm. the optimization of, you know this, um, you know, how to think about the different buckets and optimizing and watching somebody lead something, you know, working with the different stakeholders and building a program like this. It's uh, congratulations. Like, it sounds like Ah. you've got a really good, a really good path. And um, we really appreciate you making some time today for us. You know, I appreciate you guys inviting me on here. And um, this is, yeah, I enjoyed it very much. And uh, yeah, we're, our battle's not done, so we will keep fighting. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And every time I watch Oklahoma football now, I, I definitely, I, I know exactly where you stand. So that'll be fun fun to watch. So. Thank you very much. Very good. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Sean. Yeah, thanks, Phil. You guys have a good day. That's it for this episode of Trees and Lines, brought to you by Iapetus Holdings. If you like the show, please give us a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. If you have any questions or comments on any of our episodes or ideas for topics or guests, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us at treesandlines at iapetusllc.com. We'll chat with you soon.